0: Hey, it's Madison, the Black Eagle, and here's a highlight from today's show. My uh, good friend Juan Williams uh, is on, uh, political analyst, former co-host of Fox News Channel, The Five, and uh, again, uh, just a brilliant uh, writer, journalist, historian. And what got what caught my attention. Uh, Juan, uh, you, you penned an op-ed, Juan, uh, Juan Williams, Clarence Thomas, and me, and you said I've known Justice Clarence Thomas for forty years. Um. Has has, has what has been the changes that you've seen politically, socially, personally? over the last 40 years that you've known Clarence Thomas?
1: Well, good morning, Joe. I think the biggest change, obviously, was the hearings, the Anita Hill hearings. Um, You know, that traumatized the guy. Um, So I had known him before. I met him in 1981. So I've known him more than 40 years, come to think of it. Um, And I met him out in San Francisco. He was working at that time uh, for... John Danforth, I think the senator senator from Missouri um and then he went to the education department then he went to the equal employment opportunity commission the EEOC and I wrote a long piece about him for the Atlantic Monthly talking about what an intriguing character he was. What what was interesting to me at that time was, you know, this is a guy that could recite Malcolm X by heart. I mean by heart. He had been in the breakfast programs run by the Panthers when he was at Holy Cross in college. Uh, and then he was like a silent, angry guy at Yale because he felt, you know, out of place among all the kind of highfalutin elite white people and the big law firms wouldn't give him a break. So that was the guy I first met out in San Francisco who, you know, as he said it to me, he he didn't want any job from the Reagan administration that had to do with black people and black issues, because that would put a monkey on his back, and he would be defined as just a black guy who got a job because he was black. He said uh, Danforth had done him a favor by ignoring him. He just wanted to be a lawyer. I think he was actually working on, like, tax issues for Danforth and the like. So that's that's the guy I met 41 years ago and who's, who was a Republican Uh, You know, I even wrote a piece later, I think it was for GQ, saying, you know, was Malcolm X a Republican? Because this guy was a Republican and all about black people have to do for themselves. And black people uh, should be respected on their own terms and not, you know, hold up any hope that white people are coming to save them. He was a black nationalist, Joe. That's the guy I met.
0: And but you say the change came. With the uh with the hearing when he was nominated um so i'm I, I, as best you can it, it may be explain why was that such a change
1: Joe, come on you got to remember he's the one who said this is a, a, a lynching, lynching. electronic lynching yeah.
0: lynching right
1: yeah that's what he said so just stop and think about you or me uh we know each other if you, if I heard Joe Madison say somebody is doing an electronic lynching, you got to understand. Hey, Joe is hurt. Something's going on here, and at the time, it was the most riveting drama in America. Remember, it was nighttime, prime time hearings on TV. It was a man versus a woman accused, a woman accusing a man of sexual misconduct, um, and every, and it was a black. Man and a black woman. I mean, I don't think America had seen it on that kind of stage. This was before the Me Too, yeah. oh yeah, Me Too era. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it and I mean, everybody wanted scandalous details about uh, pornography and what was left on a coke can. It was ridiculous, man. If you look back, I mean, you say, "Wow, you know, that's unbelievable." This is before Lewinsky and Clinton. It was all over. And uh, by the way, Senator Danforth, you know, has written about how. In that moment, Thomas was so traumatized, I mean, that he was on a bathroom floor, just writhing in pain. And then, you know, they're praying and that God will come and that he is God's servant and a martyr. I mean, it was, believe me, it was, I don't think there's, at least in my mind, Mm -hmm. no doubt it was a life-changing event for Justice Thomas.
0: Now, were, were, were you still in communication with him? Were you talking to him? at that time because now you're you're a journalist i mean so you here you are somebody now would i be accurate in saying that y'all were friends
1: yeah okay because i got to know him it's not like friends in a i mean i mean i know what you you mean yeah we knew each other and we would have dinner um lunch more often than dinner but dinner and uh, he came over to the house and, you know, stuff like that. So, right. yes, but, yeah. um, but it was always the case. I knew that he was a source and he was a government official in all those capacities. Uh, and, and, and he knew and, and I was I a take journalist.
0: It, and I take it you could trust him.
1: Well, I didn't have to. I mean, he trusted me with information. Okay. But I didn't have to trust him in that sense. All right. Uh, and, you know, the, the the thing about it when you say, did you know him, you know, the— When you stop and realize at that time, you know, early on, he felt so embattled. You ask about trust. I wrote a piece in the Washington Post, an an op-ed column, and it talked about how he felt like the government was too much, but he was angry at his own sister, Joe, because he said the sister was waiting for the mailman to bring the welfare check. And he said that was dependence, that they had hurt her. They had made her a servant. And uh, that sparked a lot of controversy, and people said, "How can he talk about his sister like that? What is wrong with him?" And uh, so then he was hurt. He felt like, you know, maybe I shouldn't have put that in the column. Mm-hmm. And for like six months, he didn't talk to me. Okay. And yeah. then then we got back together. And so it was, it, you know, you know, I think for a lot of these government officials, they have to trust the journalists that you know you don't burn them. And uh, but we got over that, right. and uh, right. yeah. But but I'm telling you, the trust issue was very real because, you know, he had, he was divorced at the time. He had a, a son, uh, was raising the boy, but basically on his own. And at times, very lonely, very pessimistic guy about life. You know, I mean, very much since, you know, the, the kind of Malcolm X black nationalist thing that it's him against the world. It, you know, as a dark-skinned black boy, you know, who was, you know, called ABC, America's Blackest Child, you know, who people made jokes about he felt estranged and oftentimes alienated and that's the guy that you know that i got close to
0: now is it so let let's let's fast forward what is your relationship if any with him now
1: i don't have one really we we kind of lost touch over the last few years uh i think his wife jenny really doesn't approve of anybody who's not in the trump conservative bubble uh, around him the journalists that he associates with now are people who are far right wing uh people uh who make right wing documentaries including one about him uh in which you know all they do is pump up Trump and far right ideology um so that's the guy that exists now
0: now the 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 other Issue, And I was trying to read between the lines of your op-ed piece. Juan Williams, he wrote an op-ed piece, and we'll put it on our social media uh, platform, Clarence Thomas and Me. And, uh, you know, he talks about how uh, that he's known Clarence Thomas for 40 years. And he goes into uh, some interesting detail. Clarence Thomas is now—and I didn't really think about it until I read it in your op-ed piece— He is now the longest-serving justice on the Supreme Court.
1: It's a fact. Go ahead. It's a fact. You know, so he's not only the longest-serving, but because he's the longest-serving, we're not just, like, pointing out some historical fact, you know, like, for the audience to think about. No, because he's the longest-serving, he's the longest-serving on that conservative block, and he's essentially the leader of that conservative block. He decides who writes opinions for that conservative block. No! He tries to pull together things for that conservative wow. block. Wow. So, so, and, and that's, if, what you, read, that's what you thats what you mean by
0: de facto. That's by, by de facto, that's his... It, I did not realize that's his responsibility now.
1: Yeah, because the Chief Justice, John Roberts, is not always part of that block. So he doesn't get to decide these things. It's the person who's the senior person... For the majority opinion, and right now with six conservatives, sometimes, I say six, that sometimes includes J- Chief Justice Roberts, but often it's five, and in this case, the, the, the abortion case, it was five. Roberts only comes in at the end to say, well, I could go up to the 15 weeks, and I, you know, so that people say it's a six to three decision, but it's actually a five-four decision, and the leader, the man who decided Alito, Justice Alito, was going to write everything was, guess who? Clarence Thomas. Clarence
0: Thomas, and and again, sort of de facto speaking, used to be teased and and for lack of a better word, uh, not talking. He would not for years. He didn't say a word. Did did you? You mean on the bench? On uh, the yeah. Same yes. Course. Yes. Right. I meant on the <laughs> bench. I meant on the bench. Right, right. And yeah. and uh, and and so, what did you make of that?
1: Well, again. He didn't feel like he should have to dance for his supper for some white people who wanted him to say something bright or be in t- entertaining or, you know, you know the fascinating black man on the court. No, he felt his job was to hear what the lawyers had to say, give them the opportunity to speak, to make their arguments, consider what his peers, the, his fellow justices, the brethren, were had to say about the case if they were incisive questions. But he wasn't there to impress anybody, was his feeling. I mean, again, you stop and think about the psychological dynamic here, Joe. This is a black man who feels like white people have put him through a whole hell of a lot, and he went to Yale and he wasn't treated, in his opinion, fairly, although he did very well in school, didn't get a chance to join one of the big law firms because they all saw him as an affirmative action baby and all the rest. And uh, he just wasn't going to say, sit up there and feel like he had to impress some white people. He was a Supreme Court justice. He would do his job, and he's going to do his job on his own terms, as we have discovered, but he wasn't there to entertain anybody.
0: Now, I'll be honest with you. I could admire that. There you go. I mean, really, I could admire that. I mean, that's sort of your attitude and my attitude. We've known each other for years, you know. Absolutely. Uh, Neither of us dance for our dinner. Nope. so, so is our. I, I can only speak for yourself. Is is your concern as mine is? It's his philosophy. It's uh, it's his. I I, I mean I. I but uh, people would say I. I bet you my listeners are saying. But Joe Juan, he is dancing for his dinner. He is. He's over there w- with the Trump folk and his wife. He is dancing for his dinner.
1: Well, here's the thing. I mean, to me, this is the great contradiction. I said this at the end of the piece that we're talking about, which appeared in The Hill, uh, the website. I said there's a lot of contradictions in this guy. You know, he's 74 years old. So the young man I knew who was a black nationalist, you know, an advocate of Malcolm X, right? Okay. is now surrounded by these white conservatives. And he's married to a white woman who was a big I mean, she's such a big supporter of Trump that they're now the January sixth panels thinking about subpoenaing her to come in and testify because she was trying to overturn the twenty twenty election. so you think about the transition he doesn't he has found support among those white ultra right wing conservatives, his wife right. That That's who is his buffer to the world, and they have now surrounded him. It's not that, It's not that he is dancing for his supper to get money or anything from these people. It's that those people are his emotional and intellectual support. I haven't mentioned all the law clerks, but one of the law clerks, you may have heard his name recently, John Eastman. John Eastman's another one of these people that was advising Trump and Giuliani about how to overturn the election. And, of course— Clarence Thomas is the one justice that voted against Congress being able to get information f- from the president about January 6th. The only, in other words, all the other conservatives said, no, uh, you've got to respond to the Congress, but not Clarence Thomas. And I think that's a function of the fact that he is essentially like in a locked room with these people. They are his lifeline. That's all he knows at this point. People like me are gone from his life.
0: hmm Yeah. Uh let me change gears here for for a minute. You also um talked about you i think this is another yesterday if I, or the day before yesterday saying that Trump is to blame for the poison in our politics and should be removed from public office i I had conservative George will on my show, and we kept a clip where he said, you know he just wants Donald Trump. Out of public life, period. Yeah. That I mean, that he said. I at one point I can vote for, uh, I can vote for a Democrat. I don't know who, but I just want him out of public life. And then uh, just the other day, a, a Republican governor, as you know, Hogan from Maryland, uh, it, it, it's it, you know has it made it clear that the Republican nominee for a Maryland governorship isn't qualified to be, be governor. Do you see a, a, a split, This and this is not a softball question to you, but uh, are we seeing a split in the Republican Party? And, and what's bringing that about, in your opinion?
1: Well, you know, they say, oh, the January 6th hearings haven't had any impact. Well, it's had enough impact, so the Wall Street Journal, which is kind of, you know, the leading light among conservative thinkers, uh, wall street journal editorial page they said over the weekend that trump betrayed the country and failed a test of character the new york post a kind of conservative tabloid said
0: he should not
1: be considering a second term he's not worthy of the office of the presidency when you ask me what's bringing it about i think the revelations coming from the january 6th committee are having some impact now if you look at the poll numbers, it's still a high percentage of Republicans who say, yeah, you know, they follow Trump. They're loyal to Trump. Trump should be the nominee. But it's a decreasing number. Yeah. And again, I think that's the impact of the January 6th committee. Fewer Republicans now say, yeah, Trump should run again in 2024. In so when I see that, I think, you know what? There's some people who are buying off. I don't know if I would describe it as you did, Joe, a split. Because, man, it is a monolith out there. It's like a cult, to, yeah. my, to my mind. Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, it, it, that's what you hear. It's, it's like they just repeat the same words, and the words come from Donald Trump. And they just, they're enraptured by him. Yeah. See,
0: I, I'm starting to refer to the re, that Republican group, that uh, that group as the 30 percenters. It, yeah. it, it's pretty much a steady at 30 percent. Um, right. and, and it doesn't appear to be growing. It's not like a snowball. It it It's, uh, the, how how would I, I, I it, it's like the sun's coming out and the snow, <laughs> and the snowman is kind of melting a little by yeah. little, not all at
1: once. Uh, that's a the, good image when you consider that so many of them are white supremacists.
0: <laughs> well, that's, you know, that's a question. That, I, you know, I don't know. I asked um, on the air the other day, because uh, I've never met a racist that has said I'm a racist. I mean, you know, I, in, the, in the sense of the word. So I began asking the question, OK, DeSantis, if you're not a racist, OK, Trump, if you're not a racist, whoever you are, then why are races attracted to Brilliant. you?
1: Brilliant. That's exactly the way to go at it. Why is Trump Endorsed by the KKK. Yes. Why, why do these white supremacists rally in his name? Why do the people who raid and violently raid the U.S. Capitol carry the Confederate flag?
0: Or the Nazi flag.
1: Yeah, in exactly. In addition to the Trump flag.
0: Yeah, yeah. So yeah. why are they attracted to you? I haven't been able to get anybody to call in and answer. So. Yeah, because
1: maybe maybe the truth is they know. They know that they're racist. Yeah. You know, I mean, t- to me... You know, way back when, when I was getting to know Clarence Thomas and going through the hearings, one of the thoughts I had was, you know what? I think that the liberal white establishment is going after a young black man because he's not a liberal. He's conservative, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. But you uh, you know what? If, if you want to have a conversation with me and tell me why you have conservative views, and maybe your conservative views actually are black nationalist views, I'm going to say, wait a second. You have to respect this brother. Give him a chance yes. to grow. Yeah. And uh, you shouldn't be just judging people because you have a disagreement and say he can't be on the court. Or that all that. right, don't step on him. So I was, in a sense, a defender of Clarence Thomas at that moment. And people say, hey, well, so you are one of the people who put him up, you know, to do all the damage, the ruination that he's done now on guns, on abortion, on voting rights. And I say, look. I wrote this in The Hill. I say, look, I can't apologize for saying that I wanted to support a young black person rising in this country uh, who was conservative but wasn't a – in fact, the Reagan people used to complain that he was not sufficiently conservative for them. That's the Clarence Thomas I knew back in the 80s. I, I
0: I was on the board of NACP at the time. I never will forget Houston, Texas. He had been nominated by Bush uh Benjamin Hooks and Bush were very close friends right and 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 Bush put a lot of pressure on Benjamin Hooks at the time, CEO of then ACP, who put a lot of pressure on those of us who were on the board to to support and and vote for his his nomination uh, It split the board to well to a degree um and they had a meeting. The board, we a, a committee of us had a meeting with uh, Clarence Thomas, and they basically came back. He was, if, I'm I'm not making this up. He was for affirmative action. He said all the things that the board wanted to, that they thought that he, they wanted to hear. But a group of them, I never will forget, came back to the board meeting, and said, "I don't believe him." There you go. And that, and and let me tell you. Um, and that's how he, he didn't get the endorsement of the NACP board at the time. I even had yep. a, I even had a, uh, a, a Republican uh, uh, Bill Lucas, who ran for governor on uh, the Republican ticket in Michigan, came to Houston and sat me down with coffee and said, "You know, we really have to not we really have to support Clarence Thomas because he's he's a dark skinned black man." And I went, what? I mean, <laughs> those kind of discussions did go on. You're absolutely right.
1: Well, as I recall, initially the the civil rights community was going to support him. He was replacing Thurgood Marshall. I wrote a prize winning biography of Justice Marshall. I knew Justice Marshall. Right, right. Here, here comes this younger black man. And he's going to. Is, is, it means that there is going to be a black man on the court since uh, Justice Marshall is leaving. And there were lots of people in the civil rights community who were like, well, we can work with him. You know, it's it's not going to be because, remember, you're talking about a Republican, George H.W. Bush. If he was going to put someone else it was going to be a white man and likely a very conservative white man that black people felt in the leadership would not be responsive to them and their issues, but they had a sense, well, maybe we can work with Thomas. It wasn't until the Anita Hill thing and then all the other major protest civil rights groups the women's groups gay everybody then said no we can't do it that then you saw in the black leadership then a tilt away from thomas and that's a, probably that's when you had your meeting you know to say hey can we do this
0: yeah hey man it is always good to talk with you uh, appreciate you so much i would say i miss you on um on the fox uh the five but you know uh i i i I always i i always felt for you i just
1: (laughs) just, well i'm in there fighting i'm still in there fighting yeah you Uh, are you know i i do fox news sunday and special report at six o'clock sometimes so i thank you but let me just say before i go what a great book radioactive is i have enjoyed that book i'm gonna tell you i really did I, I learned so much about Joe Madison. I didn't know. I, I really didn't. I, I but you know the Sudan stuff, just out of this world. Just wonderful, Joe.
0: Well, I you know coming from you, let me tell you, I really, really appreciate that because when I was writing it, I all I I kept thinking about the Juan Williams of the world, and the last thing you want to do is uh, embarrass yourself among such esteem and i don't say this i mean this isn't we're not sitting we've known each other too long and well (laughs) enough to know we don't have to kiss each other's ass uh (laughs) you know i i really i said man i don't i the last thing you want to do is embarrass yourself uh because you know the people like juan and others they're going to be honest and and i know it would be constructive criticism so i thank you very very much but i tell you this I have new fond respect for editors and anybody, <laughs> anybody. And I got to give kudos to Dr. David Canton, uh, yes. because he worked, uh, he worked hard, uh, to make sure that, uh, it, it, it came out the way it did. But thank you. Juan, we'll call again. I promise. I got your number. You've got All mine. Right, so
1: anytime, Joe. Okay. I'm here for you. I
0: love the show. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Juan Williams. Thank you, folks. Um, and by the way, you can go on our various platform and the uh the the two op eds are are there. We'll continue. Madison with you here on SiriusXM urban uh, view. Look, uh real quick, the thing that I wanted the reason I wanted to have Juan on uh was to sort of get in between the lines of the op-ed piece. Um and 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 for those of you who maybe have been were very young, and all you knew was the history, um, all you know is you know the where we stand, where Clarence Thomas stands now. Um, like for example, um, I, I this first time I heard the story of 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 Clarence Thomas during his confirmation hearing. agonizing, agonizing, right? Yeah. So, so, so much that he was on the bathroom floor. I mean, um, and, and then many of you may not have known, although I, I was aware of this. uh, He was a super uh, Malcolm X uh, Afro uh, Black Panther uh, uh, kind of uh, Militant when he was in college. Where did that, and, and then to hear Juan say uh, he's now s- surrounded uh, by, and this is not, this is, was my one, by the Trumpers. This is his buffer zone. This is his, and, and what changed? That's why I asked the question. What changed? And I did not realize, although I heard it today, that as the de facto, not legal, but the de facto, he's now the de facto leader of the conservative wing of the uh, Supreme Court. Which is why You had a lot of angst and concern when he said, as the de facto, we now have to put certain rights on the table, Uh, marriage equality, although he hasn't said it, racial equality in terms of marriage and other issues. He did that. As the de facto leader of the conservative arm of the Supreme Court, because most of us would think the chief, right, would be the one who would set the 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 direction. And every day you learn on the Madison Show. As um. Juan Williams said, Clarence Thomas may very well be one of the most powerful men in Washington, D.C. You can listen to yours truly, Madison the Black Eagle, live every Monday through Friday on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.